The Australian of the Year for 2023 is Taryn Brumford. Australia, it is not our life's purpose to be at war with our body. whatever they like, but it still remains, I have not got a guarantee that our sovereignty will not be ceded if we go into the colonial constitution. There's a, there's a point in the clock face where the far left meets the far right. The Prime Minister doesn't understand or hasn't decided on the detail yet, so how can Australians make a decision when they're not properly informed? Peter Dutton doesn't know anything about Indigenous affairs, and dare I say it, nor do the Greens. The Greens' policies are hopeless. Germany, as I said, will provide Leopard 2 A6 tanks, which will come from the stocks of the Bundeswehr. Today I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine. Twelve months after Novak Djokovic was deported from Australia, footage of his father posing with Russian fans who had Russian flags, which of course are banned here. I, I, I don't know what you guys want us to do about it like talk about it i i, I don't i don't know what's what's the goal here the rap. <laughs> well with all the heavy news this week the languid summer days are becoming all but a distant memory joining me for our first rap of 2023 is general manager of inclusion and social policy at the afl tanya hosh and rick morton author and senior reporter with the saturday paper real pleasure to have you both welcome back hey andy tanya i want to start with you uh what did you do yesterday? Do you, what does Australia Day mean for you? Yeah, look, for the last decade or so, I've been choosing to go to work um, and, and work on that day. And uh, that's something that's supported by my workplace. And uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. I used to go to the rallies, um, but I sort of felt like if I'm going to um, not support this this day as a, a day of celebration, um through a public holiday, then the the right thing for me to do is to go to work. And, you know, I've noticed over the last 10 years that uh, I'm joined increasingly by more and more people every year. Um, So I think it's an opportunity to to think about that. It's a perennial conversation. Um, And, you know, I, I look forward to actually having a an appropriately facilitated conversation nationwide about it because, you know, this date um, hasn't been the date of actual public holiday always. Um, You know, we're evolving as a country in our understanding of our history, which is a really important thing. Um, And so for me, I like to go to work. Um, And so even though I was still on leave and I'm on leave today, um, I went back to work for the day yesterday. Yeah, not to be glib, but uh, as a journalist, I've worked on Australia Day for the last decade and pretty much all <laughs> I've done is report on the question on Australia Day, on Australia Day. Uh, Rick, mm. I, saw, I saw a headline uh, in a publication that I won't name, uh, but it said, uh, you know, that, quote, thousands protested while millions celebrated. Mm. Uh, do you think that's the case? Is Australia Day a diminishing prospect on the Australian and annual landscape? I saw someone last night talking about this, and I wish I could remember who it was, but they essentially said this is the first Australia Day they can remember where it felt like the tide had actually shifted substantially, where where there weren't people celebrating in the streets and, you know, waving around Australia flags like used to be the case. And certainly it was very subdued up here in Queensland. I was working as well. 
um, uh, it's deadline day at the Saturday paper regardless, but we also have a policy that allows people to choose to work. Um, and I just think it's, it's, it's well, to me anyway, and I won't speak for other people, but it just seems like the biggest non-story to say why would we be the only, certainly only democratic country in the world that chooses to celebrate the day of colonisation as our national day. It doesn't make sense. Tanya, I was quite struck by a Roy Morgan poll earlier in the week which claimed that two-thirds of Australians say January 26 should be known as Australia Day as opposed to Invasion Day, and that was up six percentage points from last year. And look, for full clarity, that question to respondents was what should it be called? Uh, Should January 26 be Australia Day or Invasion Day? There weren't other options or change the date. It was just what do you call it? But it does seem pretty stark uh, up six percentage points. Do you think that maybe that this is a false dichotomy here? Surely there are many Australians who feel really uncomfortable about the date, but also think that we shouldn't label it Invasion Day. Yeah, look, I think, you know, the choice between Australia Day and Invasion Day is quite provocative and that there would be a lot of people who um, perhaps uh, would be leaning towards a change of date with an understanding of what it is that we're we're celebrating, but I think um, to to say that we're going to uh, celebrate invasion doesn't quite sit right with me either. I think that you know a, na- a nation building activity for us is to have that conversation, to to have a new conversation about what it is that we're we're really going to choose to celebrate as a nation. And I noticed a piece um, by. You know Wesley Enoch in the in the Guardian yesterday. You know talking about um, you know not just changing the date, but just changing the sense of our our national identity and having that conversation. And I think if you're going to ask people uh, a question in, with that phrasing, I. I'm not surprised at that response. Do you think that uh, Green Senator Lydia Thorpe's uh, asking people to not vote uh, yes to the voice uh, will damage the voice? Do you think this is sabotaging this current debate and the upcoming referendum? Look, I think, you know, having heard you know, Lydia's reflection over a long period of time because I was working on the Recognise campaign, um, which was the first initial community awareness campaign about constitutional change. These arguments are not new. These sentiments are not in any way uh, unique. They've always been around. I think the important question for us as a country is you have to expect that there's going to be some resistance. And in fact, resistance often helps us to clarify what we're thinking and what we're going after and makes it better. So I'm not surprised by that. Obviously, I'd prefer there were no um, no cases um, against this. Um, but of course, we have to expect that there will be and we live in a de- in a democracy. And so I don't really have any problem with that. But I think the question really is, does the voice take us backwards in any way? I think the aspirations that Lydia and other people um, that support those views are speaking about are long, long held. They're not new. And so I don't think the voice takes us further away from those aspirations. In fact, you know, a an important part of the Uluru Statement does speak to a Makarata Commission, which is about a treaty-making body. And that work 
isn't reliant on a referendum, but having a constitutionally enshrined voice gives us a permanent opportunity for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples for us to speak for ourselves about what's most important and how we address uh, the issues that um, we feel the consequences of very keenly on a daily basis. You're with Andy Park on and Drive. Our guests for the Friday Wrap today are Tanya Hosh. She's the General Manager of Inclusion and Social Policy at the AFL. And Rick Morton, author and senior reporter with the Saturday Paper. Let's talk about the Australian of the Year, Taryn Brumfit. Uh, Rick, I have to confess, I'd never heard of her. And I'm a middle-aged man that could probably lose a few kilos. Uh, I would have thought I could be (laughs) the the ideal target for uh, her documentaries, which have been viewed 45 million times. I've obviously been living under a rock. I should take the uh, uh, blankets off the mirrors at my house. Uh, What do you think uh, about this being brought to the forefront, men dealing with body image issues? How big an issue do you think it, it, it really is in Australia at the moment? Yeah. Look, I confess to feeling the same way. I didn't know about her at all. And I was a little bit surprised, but not in the way that some prolific, well-known commentators were being very dismissive and arrogant about it. I think you're referring uh, to a certain tweet. I am. I am. Which, uh, which let's, let's paraphrase it because it basically said most uh, Australians of the year, well, uh, should be uh, doctors and nurses uh, working away in EDs. Uh, Tar- Taryn Brumfit uh, essentially is an advocate uh, who, who um, uh, makes money out of her advocacy position is more or less the sentiment from the tweet we're talking about. Look, it, one of my biggest bugbears in debates is it's very anti-intellectual sometimes, I think, to say, well, it's actually easier just to give all the awards to the nurses and doctors because how can you say no to giving awards to nurses because they work really hard and they save people and they do real work. I joke about it because my sister's a midwife. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate people who do other really important work and body image is really important. And I had to test my own biases and instincts about this one because I thought, oh, should she really be Australian of the Year? I genuinely thought that. There wasn't any malice in it. Um, and I had to kind of tell myself that, yeah, this stuff is really important. It matters particularly with younger people um, and particularly with men where it was kind of not spoken about for a long time. And we were effectively, we had some advocates for body image with women and accepting your body at you know healthy weight ranges, which is a lot more of a spectrum than people would have us believe in terms of how you can be fit and how you look. Um, but we didn't really do it for men for a long time. So I think, it, look, Australian of the Year, it's nice to kind of turn the, the tables around and do something different for a change. Yeah, well, it's a real kick in the beer gut at this time of year as we are, well, uh, all <laughs> try to... Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tanya, uh, well, Taryn Brumfit uh, is also a fellow Australian of, of yours. Uh, you, you were actually South Australian of the Year in 2021, so you know about what an honour it is. Recently, it seems to these councils, whether they be state or, or federal, they sort of lean towards rewarding advocacy positions as opposed to occupational positions. What do you mm. think about that? Is that a safe choice or or or, or not? Oh, look, I don't know. I mean, because I don't know who the other, you know, um, applications represented. What I do know is that I'm glad I don't have to choose them. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you know, quite often. You know, once you see the finalist, you know, I, I reckon I've done quite well over the years sort of predicting where it might be going to lean, but not always. I, I think that there's a lot of people out there who do important work that goes unheralded and um, isn't known about. So, for example, you both saying, you know, well, I wasn't really aware of her work, but obviously 
you know, loads of people are, um, you know, I think just goes to show how much work there still is to do. And, you know, I think it does make sense in many respects to give people a platform so they can leverage further the good work that they're already yeah, doing. Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. I mean, we're talking about her work now uh, as opposed to uh, being unfamiliar with it before. We're almost out of time. I do want to ask you, Rick, uh, covering robo-debt and the Royal Commission, what do we expect next week? We're going to see some big names uh, giving some evidence, aren't we? Next week is going to be huge, and this week was the biggest week since the opening address by uh, Senior Counsel Justin Gregory. Next week we've got Annette Mussolino, who is Chief Counsel at the Department of Human Services and whose name has been implicated at every step of this journey in the creation of robo-debt and, and some would say so far in terms of maybe not being, um, maybe looking the other way, um, certainly in some of the emails and exhibits we've seen. She's got two days of evidence. And then we've got Christian Porter and Alan Tudge, and Alan Tudge's former senior media advisor, Rochelle Miller, and also Nathan Williamson, the former Deputy Secretary of the Department of Social Services after Serena Wilson retired, who was just thrown a few grenades today by um, some colleagues on the stand who said that they told him about legal advice saying Robert Depp was illegal in 2018 and that a According to the witness testimony today um, from Alison Essex, he said, it's, we've also got other legal advice. It's legal, um, saying it's legal, it's fine, um, onwards and upwards, essentially. So it's going to be a big week. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Actually, I wouldn't mind if you could uh, drop back in to update us next week if you've got the time, because I think uh, that certainly it's crunch time for that robo-debt royal commission. Very close. We are out of time. Uh, look, thank you so much for bringing your big, big minds to the conversation. Tanya Hosh, General Manager of Inclusion and Social Policy at the AFL, and Rick Morton, author and senior reporter with The Saturday Paper. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much. And thanks to you for listening this week at the new time slot of 4 till 5.30. Thanks to the team that work on the show behind the scenes. Right now on ABCRN, it's 5.30, time for PM with Rachel Mealy. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.